The Weekly Harvest, an in-depth look at the Brandon Weekings and the WHL. Washman trying to come up with it for Allison. Here's Allison right in front. He scores! Brandon Jr. Hockey fans, you've waited two decades for this. In the league's 50th anniversary, your Wheat Kings are the champions. Well, welcome to episode 39 of the Weekly Harvest Podcast. My name is Chris Falco, Director of Game Day Ops, Community Relations with the Brandon Wheat Kings. He's Brandon Crow, Radio Voice of the Wheat Kings. <laughs> Already, what? Oh, door. Both yeah. dogs got up. Hey, out, out. <laughs> Oh, you know what? We're going to keep this. Crow's getting his dogs out the door. Yeah, this out, this is the best the start door, to the yeah. podcast that we've ever had. I'm back. I'm back. Everybody I'm loves back. dogs. Everybody loves dogs. There's dogs behind me. There's also a cat a cat meowing. So yeah, there's a cat running around here in. somewhere, too. There's, 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 there's no kids here with me tonight. So you're not going to see <laughs> the boys walking by doing funny faces if you happen to be watching the, watching the video portion of the pod. Uh, but thanks for tuning on in this week, however it is, in podcast form. Apple, Google, Spotify, QCountryFM.ca, uh, Westman TV, uh, YouTube. Uh, I'm going to do a better job of remembering to, to, to get that up on time, I promise. Uh, Crow, how are you doing this week, bud, besides getting the dogs out the door? Uh, good. Well, I was concerned because the door was open, and I just heard my wife pull up into the driveway, and I know that if I had closed the door and had them in this room when she pulled in, it had been full-on barking and desperately trying to get through the closed door because they like her a lot more than they like me, so... <laughs> Um, no, things are good. Uh, it's cold. Uh, and uh, that's been the big complaint from a lot of people the last few days. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to be working outside in this temperature and it's, it's not great, but, uh, you know, uh, I've got a tip of the cap to those, everybody working outside, whether it be oil or gas or, you know, wherever construction, anything guys working outside. That's, uh, that's quite the, quite the undertaking right now. You know, we have, uh, we've had a real easy so far compared to most other winters. Uh, temperatures have been super mild. We haven't had a whole lot of snow. Uh, it, it's been really easy to get to and from work, and the guys working outside, you know, up until this point. But yeah, it's uh, a little bit of a tough go. Uh, at the same time, even though the weather kind of dipped, people are a little more optimistic to get out with, the, you know, uh, a little bit of the reopening happening in the province. So um, it, it was nice to uh, it was nice to, to 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 obviously see that in portions. Um, you know, some of the things on social media, some of those lines, you're like what is really going on <laughs> well, what i don't what i don't understand is i saw the picture of the ikea in winnipeg and it was like it was lined up around the block and what I, I, don't I thought that the outdoor gatherings were supposed to be limited to like five <laughs> people and you look outside of a store and you got family members from everybody barely what maybe six feet apart but probably what not. do you need at ikea that is so important that you'll wait outside in a cold Manitoba winter for it. Like, not only that, but you have to go in, buy it, and then you have to take it home and build it. Like, what, what are you doing going and wait? I wouldn't wait outside of an Ikea, not in a pandemic, let alone in the middle of a global pandemic. I don't get so, it. Some of the clothing stores I could understand has been so long without clothes. Right. And me with boys, honestly, like... The, like they go through pairs of pants, and I, I have to go buy them some more pants here very, very shortly. Uh, that's one of those things that you might want to stand in line for. But you're right; for the most part, not so much. I know I did not spend my weekend in any lines, even with it being cold. Was a true Manitoban. Uh, didn't go ice fishing, but we did go. We went sledding. Uh, we uh, we went skating at the Oval in an extreme cold morning. Um, super quick story, cute story. Five year old. We're out there going to skate. And uh, so I, I told the boys, they get to pick what we want to do on Saturday. So Jude picked sledding, and then Jude uh, Ryer picked skating. But he wanted to go to the Oval. He wanted to have the lights on. 
So we get out there. It's freezing cold. The sun's down. There's no warming shacks to tie our skates. <laughs> so we get out of the truck. Already just the walk to the bench. It's frigid. Sit down. Get these skates. Go to put on his first skate. And he looks at me. And in all sincerity, a five-year-old, the most adult thing he's ever said to me, he just goes, Dad, I made a huge mistake. <laughs> I just lost it. I just started laughing. I was like, well, I, I, I figured I knew what he meant, but I had to ask him. I was like, what do you mean? And he goes, this is too cold. So we did like three laps and we're like, okay, hey, it's time for a hot chocolate. And we were out of there. But uh, yikes, uh, it was still good just to get out and do the three laps and just say that, that we did. However, people spent their weekends, though. Uh, I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad. Uh, it's weird still having weekends off when you work in hockey for so long. I'm sure you can attest to this that oh. normally when you're looking at the calendar in the winter, like I've never had this much time to go ice fishing. Like I've, you know, we talk about that every week now and all these outdoor things. Never had the time to do all this. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to when that changes and instead of spending outside, we can spend at least a few hours in the rink again. Yeah, I feel like, you know, normally it, during a season, the important days of the week for me are like Thursday through Sunday. Like Thursday's like, you know, have to go to practice that day. We shoot the crow's nest, you know, me and Perry, that's kind of the kickoff of the weekend. You really get a feel for it. And then bang, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're busy. Usually kind of Monday, Tuesdays are a little bit more relaxed and your week's kind of just shifted a little bit. You know, most people are Monday to Friday, Saturday, Sunday's off. Ours is kind of reversed a little bit. It's to the point now where I don't even know what day of the week it is. Uh, honestly, the other day, somebody asked me there at, at, out at, uh, out at work. They're like, Hey, uh, it's Wednesday, right? And I legitimately had to think about it because I had no idea what day of the week it was. They all kind of blend together. And I'm sure a lot of people that are stuck at home or working from home or, or not in a regular routine are feeling a little bit like Groundhog Day with Bill Murray at the, <laughs> the uh, Groundhog thing in, in Pennsylvania. So it's a little strange, but it, it's nice to see things starting to lift up a little bit. I know a lot more people are excited about you know getting out and at least getting out onto the outdoor rinks and maybe seeing a little bit of family too. So um, the outdoor rinks have been full the, for a while, anyway. The outdoor rinks oh, have been full, so yeah. I, there's been a lot of people that out outdoor wise. I don't think people were as concerned about following the rules. Which I mean, you go by the Verdon Junior High outdoor rink in town here where I live, and I mean, you got 25, 30 kids on the ice, another 25, 30 standing outside waiting for their turn to get on. So that social distancing uh, wasn't uh, huge there. But you're outside, a little bit more spaced out, probably a little fresher air too. So. Um, in all seriousness, though, we still don't know what's going on. Uh, I still get texts. I still you know, talk to people on a regular basis. Hey, what are we playing? What's going on? When are we back on the ice? There really hasn't been any updates. Um, you know, there's been some rumors and some, some different uh, we some gossip. We can talk Brandon Minor Hockey as well. I mean, at least they've released yeah. some kind of details. So, you know, as, as a hockey parent, uh, I got an email last week asking there's a quick little survey it basically came down just to two questions the the question was if hockey uh, was to come back would you want to take part or would you want a refund and then there was a, like a refund question that, that was basically it they're just saying like if it is to come back do you want a refund or would you want to keep playing if you get a refund your child's removed for the rest of the year from the roster um then right. they released the details of what the what the fika you know uh, uh return would be that's maybe a discussion for a whole other podcast or some online forums about uh, how some people feel about how the breakdown is uh, is going to take place with that. But uh, they are kind of at least prepping for that scenario. But at the same time, keeping that hopeful optimism, like, okay, like who who would want to continue? 
And if we do, what kind of season would that look like? Because they know that even if they did, there's a number of people at this point that might just not want to put their kids back into sports. But I think the overwhelming majority um, is going to be that they want to continue. But I haven't oh, seen sure. the results yet. I wonder. I really do. I wonder what, what it's going to be. And I wonder if Hockey Brandon's going to release that or if we're going to have to wait until hockey resumes to really see how many kids are back. Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing, too. A lot of the people I talk to are, are parents similar similar age to you and I that have you know younger kids that are just kind of maybe getting started in hockey or, or it's their first or second year. And um, you know the idea is that that's just what they want to do is just they just want to play. And, and even not if there's games, they just want to go practice and be on the ice with their friends. So it's less about league and competition and trophies and medals and more about just getting back together with the kids. And I think when you look at the Western League too, I had somebody pitch to me today. They said, well, what if, what if all the other provinces said nobody can play, but Manitoba said yes. I said, I bet you that the Brandon, Brandon Wheat Kings and Winnipeg Ice, they'd take a seven-game series, call it the Manitoba Cup, have a little training camp, play your seven-game series, winner gets a trophy, that's it. They'd be happy with that because at the end of the day, it's something. And it's something that isn't the nothingness that we've had for over a year now. I'm not saying that that's even a remote possibility. That's just a complete shot in the dark, but it's something. And one of the great uh, websites that I use in my prep is, is the Dub Network. It's a great site. A group of basically volunteers get together. They do podcasts, articles, uh, prospects, reports, lists. It's a great uh, place to go for WHL fans. And they posed a great article uh, this week. Adam Kurzenblatt. Uh, if, I'm sorry if I got that wrong, Adam. But uh, his article is called, Is a Bubble the WHL's Best Option? And it goes into a long, in-depth report of how a bubble could look in the Western Hockey League and some of the challenges that it may face. So if you have a chance, go to the Dub Network, look that up, um, and and give it a read. To see that, did he, did they kind of say where he thought uh, well, the there's different or, options. Or, or how that would work? Yeah, he was talking about all that. So yeah, yeah he speculation said, of how it should work. It's kind of, from his perspective, how it would work best. And now, obviously, this is just one man's opinion, but... He said, well, you could break it up into a Western Conference bubble and an Eastern Conference bubble, or you have divisional bubbles as well. I mean, that's real, probably realistic. So you'd have Brandon Winnipeg move over into Saskatchewan. But he's talked about some arenas. Regina has the Brandt Center and the Cooperators, which five practice rinks and one main Western League rink, which would be perfect. But they don't have a hotel right handy, which then breaks up your bubble. Moose Jaw, they have the main rink and a couple of smaller rinks, but again, no hotel close. The best option right now in his opinion, and in my opinion, and in a couple other people I've talked to, would be the Keystone Center. For the simple fact, you've got the hotel and the rinks and the restaurant all under one roof. So from a security perspective and an actual bubble perspective, it would be the safest option. But we don't even know if a bubble is on the on the table. I've heard that it could be the last resort if it means they have to play. But it's kind of cool just to read through his his pros and cons of a bubble and get a feel for, hey, this could work, but here's some of the challenges they face. So that's at the dubnetwork.ca. Uh, Adam Kurzenblatt, a great piece from earlier this week. So give it a read, and uh, it might open your eyes a little bit to a potential option to return to play. You know, and I can't imagine, again, like I do work for the teams, so I'll make that clear, but I'm not a part of those conversations with the league. I can't imagine the logistics of a oh. bubble with – high school age kids and the way all of this really does play in the billet families. And, and, uh, but I mean, again, the league has, has said that this is, this is a weird year and they're going to do whatever they can to, to try to get this 24 games in. Um, so be very interesting to see how it goes. Um, I do know that from like the team perspective, I'm planning on us having 12 games in the Keystone center, 
uh, what the league said, and we're going to have 12, 12 away games that we're going to try to do just an amazing job at, the, the, the same kind of uh, job as, uh, as a home game because the fact that you know, there's probably not going to be fans in any of these buildings, as we know, for these, for these games as well. So it's going to be like the same experience as a home game and an away game, really. Um, so, you know, what we're going to be doing from the social media standpoint and, and following. So fully anticipating that, that hopefully we can get our games in. But again, until we can hear back from, from all the government sources. Um, but uh, the weeks are, are, are starting to turn on here. Um, we're running out of time, realistically. Just, I mean, you know, there's, there, there, there's going to be a date soon that they're going to say this is the start date. And if that isn't hit, then... We're talking about some extreme measures to try and figure something else in, but yeah, uh, yeah the we're, time we're running out of running time for it. Um, yeah. But I, I, I know that. I mean, everybody, everybody with the Wee Kings, we are raring for this countdown to begin. Um, you know, like the the hockey ops, they have done more than their homework. Like they're they're just ready. They just want to get the players back. Want to get things going. Um, you know, this is this is going to be a really, really crucial time, and it's going to be a very quick turnaround once players do get here to whatever kind of games uh, we are going to be playing. And interesting to note today that was maybe a bit of sign of positivity. Uh, there were a couple of trades today, which seems odd because a couple of the trades included 20-year-olds, which in yeah. turn, this would be their last kick at the cat. So uh, Edmonton trading Wyatt McLeod, he's a 20-year-old defenseman. They sent him to Saskatoon for a conditional pick, and then... The Edmonton Oil Kings back at it again, swapping uh, with Seattle. A couple of other guys uh, moving. Vladimir Alistrov, the high-scoring uh, Belarusian forward, uh, is off to Seattle in exchange for Simon Kubacek. So a couple of imports getting swapped. So people were all over that today saying, oh, man, that must mean that the teams are preparing to come back. Read into it whatever you like. But at the end of the day, teams still have to manage their rosters in some way, shape, or form. So... Yeah, I mean, as we and look- that's and that and that's really interesting because I mean, like you know, we're not the only WHL podcast who's talked about. I wonder if the league is going to do something special with the limits for this yep. year, being the situation, uh, being the fact that a lot of imports just aren't going to be able to get over to the country. So does that mean you can have an extra overager? Um, you know, or you you're, again you allow that that one twenty one year old spot or, or whatever's going to. But by the sounds of it, you know, teams just gearing for what's going to be a normal roster sort of season. So. Yeah, you know, teams got to be got to be prepared, got to be ready. Um, once they, because again, once everybody, you know, when somebody hits training camp and gets to their respective cities, it, it's it's going to be a matter of uh, a matter of days before things get get really going. I'm still on the Dustin Forbes train. He mentioned on, I believe, it was episode 37 of our podcast that he said, "I'm not going to believe it until the puck hits the ice for game number one," and I'm still in that boat a little bit. Um, you know, we've we've seen return to play plans in other leagues and, and the MJHL started. And I, I was grateful to be able to, to do some public address announcing for the home games in Verdon here, just out of you know sheer convenience. And it was nice to get back in the rink, but then of course that came to an end in mid November and they still haven't started yet either. So it's, we've kind of had the rug pulled out from us uh, hockey wise a couple of times. So I'm on the Forbes train in the, I won't believe it until I see it. So um, it's, it's unfortunate that, I have to feel so negative about it, but not negative, but just pessimistic, but just want to be cautious about it. I mean, everybody's, there's a lot of decisions that have to go into it. And I'm glad I'm not in that room making those decisions. Well, one guy along with the rest of the organization that's excited to get going and ready to get going is Scott Alady. He's our guest this week. He played for the Weekings back in the early nineties. He had a pro baseball career and a pro hockey career. And now he's back with the organization and he has done everything from 
uh, relabeling buckets of storage, moving storage around, ordering new equipment, getting everything ready to go uh, for these guys. He's itching to get going as well. And he's our guest this week uh, on episode 39 of the Weekly Harvest. So uh, enjoy this uh, little sit down Falco and I did with uh, the man they call Scooter here on episode 39 of the Weekly Harvest. Brought to you by Coors Light, the official beer of the Brandon Wheat Kings. <laughs> You're right. Coors Light. Drink responsibly. Our guest this week is a longtime Brandon resident, a guy that's been known to be a multi-sport athlete, although he's he's retired now, but he still has a pretty busy role in the sports world as the Wheat Kings equipment manager, Scott Scooter Halady, joins us this week. Uh, this uh, this week's episode brought to you by Coors Light, uh, as always, the official beer of the Brandon Wheat Kings. Scooter, uh, what's, what's going on? Well, as you know, not a heck of a lot. Uh, we've kind of... Uh, Hit a standstill here uh, at the rink. Uh, so uh, a lot of things went on here in the last two, three months uh, with renovations, new ownership and that sort of thing. But uh, we're to the point now where we just need some announcements on when we're going to play hockey. You know, we were uh, talking about having you on for, for, for quite a while, not to like push you down this far, of course, Scooter, but there's so much for us to talk about at different times with you and your history with the Wheat Kings like we even know like how to fit all the stories into kind of one podcast form. So we're going to try to just peel back the curtain a little bit. Uh, let's, let's start back at the beginning. What's the very first thing you remember of the Brandon Weekings? Well, you know, it would be, geez, I was five years old when my parents started to bill it. So um, we had a lot of uh, players through the house. And my, I, I don't know if you guys know, my dad worked for Labatt. So our house was oftentimes uh, the party house. And uh, <laughs> uh, so there, there's lots of real good stories about uh, players hanging around the Haledi house as, uh, as I was a young guy. But, uh, you know, fond memories of billeting, uh, the different guys we had, uh, Kenny Schneider and his brother, Dean Kennedy. Uh, we had Larry Bumstead. We had Pokey Reddick across the street from us. Uh, we had a hub of uh, hockey in our area, and that's how I became such a big Wheat King fan. Well, let's go to your minor hockey days. Uh, let's let's walk through it a little bit. Um, you know, was it something? You, I know you're a big baseball guy as well, but how much of 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 your childhood was kind of outdoor rink and street hockey, and and how much of it was kind of the organized side of it? Well, for sure. Um, back when I played, we played community center hockey first, and I played out of Westridge Community Center, and the Truscott family were real big uh, coaches at the time, and. Uh, we played out of there. I played with uh, lots of my friends, Craig Anderson, uh, the Robertsons, uh, the Lidsters. You know, we all played out of Westridge. I remember as a kid, uh, you know, you, you'd go in between uh, periods inside and your feet would start to thaw out and the tears would start rolling down your face. Uh, but we always wanted to get back out there because it was so fun. You got to play with your friends. You were outside. And so that's that's where it kind of all started for me. And, you know, you always had the billets coming to watch you play and, same thing our guys get to experience now. So, um, you know, hockey was real big from the get-go. And then uh, as I got a bit older, my dad had a huge baseball background, and that's kind of when uh, the two-sport thing started. Well, so many people probably don't know that your father was actually property of the Minnesota Twins back in the day. And in, I believe it was 1967, he made his professional debut with the Gulf Coast League Twins. Is that correct? Now, you, I may be wrong on the dates, but... Yeah. According to as far back as Baseball Cube's <laughs> database will take me, uh, it's back to about 1967 with the Twins Minor League Club. Yeah, it's funny you say that because 
Um, mom and dad always talked a lot about, about that uh, when I was younger. And uh, dad actually roomed with Rick Dempsey. And uh, um, I've got a couple of dad's jerseys from when he played that he brought home when he finished. His career didn't last long. He, he had a, a bad pitching arm. And, uh, you know, in those days, they didn't do things to fix you. They, they gave you needles and hope that you could get through it. But uh, the stories I hear about my dad's arm was he probably had more potential to be a football quarterback, but because the baseball thing happened first, uh, that was the route he went. So he left Thunder Bay, Ontario and headed all the way down and uh, started his baseball career then. Well, for those that don't know, uh, two professional league starts on the hill, a professional ERA of 4.50. Uh, he only gave up one home run, walked eight, six strikeouts for Rick Kalady. And then he, uh, at the dish too, he came up, he had eight, uh, eight games where he was in the lineup. Uh, he only had three plate appearances, no hits, no walks, two strikeouts. <laughs> so he was a much better pitcher than he was batter, but that led you into a career in baseball that spanned right through your junior hockey days and into a little minor pro ball for yourself as well. So how did you balance it or was it easier back then? Is that kind of what every kid was doing? Yeah, I think I think being a two sport athlete when I was, you know, of junior hockey age was probably a little bit more common than it is now. Um, we didn't have the personal trainers, we didn't have the big gyms, we didn't have the the, the stuff that those guys uh, did. So, um, being a two sport athlete was was pretty common. So, um, you know, when hockey season ended, I went right into ball and I concentrated on ball until um, you know hockey season started again. So. Um, funny story is in my second year, I was working out with the Canadian Junior National Team. And so happened the Haiti thing. I got hurt while I was down there and and came back uh, to the Wheat Kings. And it was an awful phone call to Kelly when I made the Team Canada cut to, you know, to go to main camp with Team Canada, tell them that I was going to miss uh, our, our annual um, camp, uh, main camp. Uh, and then came home injured. So, um, you know, that was uh, part of being a two-sport athlete. And uh, to, to continue on with that story, uh, Russ Holden, our trainer my second year, his first day was to take me to Winnipeg to go to Pan Am Clinic to see our doctor. And on the way home, he put our vehicle in the ditch and Kelly had to come pick us up in Portage. And uh, I'll never forget Russ saying to me, he goes, you know, this is my first day work and it might be my last. <laughs> <laughs> and Scooter, you you said the whole Haledi thing. You uh, have a long history of injuries, of getting hurt at the most inopportune times and the most random ways. Uh, before we go any further, just because you mentioned it, uh, what is the most outrageous way that 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 you've seen to hurt yourself so far? Oh, geez, um, you know. A lot of the stuff was chronic, but I'll, I'll, I'll never forget the last baseball injury I had. I was playing in the, I believe it was the MacArthur Truck and Trailer League at the time, uh, just playing for fun. And uh, I remember hitting a ball uh, at West Brand. It, it went off the top of the wall. I thought it was a home run and I was kind of trotting already. And then it hit the top of the fence and it dropped. And I was like, oh, oh. And I took about four strides uh, around first base and I, my quad snapped and I dropped like a sack of potatoes. I'm on the ground. I can't get up. And I remember uh, one of the guys, I think it was a Kennedy that was playing for the other team. I'm, I'm on the ground. Like I cannot move. 
and the right fielder came in and tagged me. (laughs) (laughs) I was the third out, no matter what. I couldn't move. And I remember, uh, I think it might have been Tyler Kennedy. I can't remember for sure. Anyways, he says to the guy, he says, you idiot. You didn't have to tag him. He's already out. And that was the last major injury I had. And I, I mean, you don't recover. I was getting older. You don't recover from stuff like like you do when you're younger. So uh, for me, that was enough to be said. And the the baseball guys are telling me enough is enough. Just pack it in and go to the games and watch. Not many people realize that the city of Brandon was home to professional baseball at one point. Now, when I when you Google the Brandon Gray Owls, this is what comes up based on baseball reference. So correct me if there's any mistakes here, Scooter. This is the quote from the Brandon Gray Owls on baseball reference. 62 years after the last pro baseball team called Brandon Manitoba home, the Gray Owls represented their uh, city as a member of the 1995 Prairie League. They finished dead last, going 19-51 and 51 in their debut season. However, their attendance was also the lowest in the league at 24,000, but the team was led by a pair of Manitobans in Jamie Hodgson and Scott Halady, as well as all-star, all-star nominee Brian Heil. Yep. So other than that, uh, you were an all-star, um, but the team was not very good. They lasted another two years and then folded. But tell us a little bit about playing pro ball in Brandon and how that all came about. Well, I was, as we all know, the, the baseball journey started going to the National Baseball Institute. Um, as that didn't work out, I headed to Mayville State University to uh, pursue some school and baseball because, again, I had finished what I thought finished my hockey career um, and was going to pursue the baseball thing. And I think I had some opportunity probably to, to further my baseball career if I had a little bit more patience and I hadn't made some bad decisions. But um, after a year of school, I decided to give the pro baseball team a try. I had, I had numerous phone calls from, uh, from the ownership group, Don Gardner and some other people that were involved about, uh, the possibilities of playing. And, um, I made that decision, uh, to play and further pursue my baseball career. So, um, who, what kid wouldn't want, I was 18 years old. What kid wouldn't want the opportunity to play professional baseball? And it was single A, high A, whatever you want to call it. It didn't matter to me at the time. We played 72 games in like 82 days. It was a crazy schedule, but it was preparing you for the next step. And we we drew well some games. We didn't draw well others, but um, we had a great coach uh, eventually in Brian Clutterbuck, a former major leaguer. He was a great pitcher, a great mentor. He taught us a lot of things. Um, and Ownership changed uh, in the first year. It was a bit of a kerfuffle, but uh, <laughs> wow, what an experience playing in front of your home crowd. And uh, we had some pretty good ball players like in that league. There's probably you know a half dozen to a dozen guys that made it to the to the show, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun to play. And the list probably stops at one then of the guys who have played for both the Wheat Kings and professional baseball in Brandon with 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 you then Scooter. Uh, so from back to the hockey side, so this is just a little after, of course, when you decided um, to focus on baseball after hockey. Let's just go back for those who who, who don't know about your playing days here, don't know much about it. Um, what was your, uh, you know, we talked about your first, uh, obviously, experience with the Wheat Kings growing up and being a billet, you're around it. But after minor hockey and, uh, you know, it was different back then, were, were you drafted? Did you come to tryouts? How did that work out with you making the team? 
Yeah, well, you know what? My family moved to Winnipeg my first year of Bantam. Uh, my dad was transferred, so my uh, mom and dad both took uh, jobs in Winnipeg, and uh, I made the trip there and played two years of Bantam, and then I played a year of uh, Junior A with the Winnipeg South Blues at the time. I uh, had a great first season there, and it was while I was playing there that the Wheat Kings had listed me again. Um, I had gone on and off a couple of different uh, list teams with Saskatoon and maybe Moose Jaw at the time. I'm not even 100% sure, but, um, you know, I signed with the Wheat Kings uh, shortly after my season with the Blues, and uh, I came to camp here really excited. About, I moved back to Brandon, and I actually uh, lived with uh, Kenny Schneider and Lizanne Schneider um, after Kenny lived with us with the Wheat Kings, so that, that's a bit of a cool story too. Um, made the team um, – you know, started off fairly well, you know, was excited, caught a flu bug the day of the home opener, had 104 fever and couldn't play. And that kind of started it. It, uh, you know, I, I was in and out of the lineup as a young defenseman, which, uh, you know, I expected and had a bad uh, hip injury, which turned into uh, sports type hernia. And uh, long story short, uh, I had surgery uh, into my first year missed six months and then uh, preparing for the second year after I healed up from the baseball injury, the hernia was back and they told me to take another six months off. So um, in and out of the lineup, um, kind of got fed up with uh, being hurt all the time. And that's when I made the decision to, uh, to concentrate more on the baseball. But a lot of people don't realize that then you flip back to hockey after baseball. Say, but then you played <laughs> hockey at university because you went to yeah. BU and you went back to playing hockey. You yeah. just couldn't make up your mind. You just couldn't say goodbye. Well, you know what, though? Um, credit to the Brandon Weekings, and uh, we'll give credit to Aaron Mills, who at the time was the assistant to the athletic director, Tom Skinner at BU. Tom was doing some recruiting that uh, summer while I was playing ball, and Aaron says, well, what about Scott Halady? He's playing baseball with the Grey Owls. Um, you know, he's not going to be able to go back to school. Why don't you phone him? He'll probably have some scholarship money. Uh, long story short there is Tom gave me a shout and said, Hey, did you want to come play with the, with the Bobcats? And I was only just turning, I had just turned 20. So I still had another year of eligibility to play junior hockey if I wanted. And, you know, I, at, at that time I didn't really care. They were offering me a scholarship and Kelly was giving me, you know, I think two years of school, uh, that I had earned through my WHL scholarship. So, I started uh, training for hockey while I was playing ball and uh, got in, went jumped right into camp when ball ended and uh, ended up playing a, a pretty healthy five-year career with the Bobcats. And then from there, you decided, well, I've already played pro ball, so I may as well check pro hockey off the list. And you headed down to Muskegon to take, uh, take a shot at pro hockey in the then United Hockey League. Uh, the Muskegon Fury was the name of the team they had quite the color scheme teal purple yellow white they they look like a, a bit of a clown costume for a uniform they didn't last long but tell us a little bit about your your trip down to muskegon for your pro hockey days well it was awesome um i got a call from rich crom who uh whose dad bobby crom was pretty famous with the detroit red wings and uh rich had played in the western hockey league i believe as well i played for the islanders the flames um, he's a great guy. Um, so I went down to Muskegon, not knowing anything about the United Hockey League. 
Um, and what, a, what an experience uh, to have the opportunity to play. Like you said, I had already played professional baseball. I had five years of school. I had a degree and now I'm playing professional hockey. And, you know, I didn't know a lot about the league when I, I flew in the, the day I got there. We, uh, I think I had one practice and the next thing I know I'm playing my first professional game. And wow, it was awesome. It was like, it was like being in slap shot. Like the, the <laughs> atmosphere was, uh, much the same. The crowds were much the same. There was lots of fights and um, it was, it was an experience of a lifetime that I'll never, uh, that I'll never forget. What number did you wear? Oh, I wore a few. I started with number four. um, And then I think I wore number 22 and then I wore number 26. There's a lot of movement in that, in that hockey, right? So uh, four was an awesome number the first year I was there. And then when I went back my second year, I actually was going to go back to school for uh, to be a teacher and <laughs> quickly decided that that wasn't uh, for me. And, I, and that's when I went back for my second year. And then I started with number 22 and then ended with number 26. I was never getting number 29 because a guy by the name of Rob Melanson, who was a career tough guy, wore that number and was often my D partner looking after me on the ice. So I wouldn't ever have asked uh, for that number. <laughs> Now you come back from, from Muskegon and now we're into the mid two thousands. And I know that, uh, you know, you and your wife T your your high school sweethearts basically since your, your junior days. And at, at some point is she saying to you, okay, Scott, it's time to get a job and move on with life and, and, and get things going here. Or how, how much was her influence for you to kind of settle down and get a job? Well, you know what? Uh, she was awesome. Uh, the third year that I went down, I was going to Fort Worth to play with the Fort Worth Brahmas. And we went, we, we actually, she, we owned a house. We rented the house. We packed our two dogs and everything we could into a van. We, we had a van at the time and it was right after nine 11. Uh, we crossed, we, we got to the boys of border and of course, they see this Clampett van coming through the border. They pull us into the secondary check garage. And he says, is there anybody else with you? <laughs> I kind of chuckled. And he says, what's so funny? I said, well, we've got two dogs in the back there in the luggage. Um, long story short, they opened the door. The dogs barked a little bit. He says, uh, you're headed to Fort Worth. Uh, have a good drive. Be safe. We got there, um, spent a f- about a month in Fort Worth. It was beautiful. Um, had some contract issues and ended up uh, having the opportunity to go back to the UHL and play for Flint, which was the heated rivalry with Muskegon. And on the way back, we're driving and we got to Omaha, Nebraska and decided to spend the night there because we had driven enough. And as we got to Omaha, I said, let's sleep it. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm ready to do this to you. And she goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, Flint is not the nicest city for anybody to live in. I don't know if Still I isn't. want to be there. <laughs> um, so the funny thing is we were in the hotel, the dogs, we were all kind of just uh, thinking. And uh, We got into the van the next day and I got on the highway and we were to the point where I had to head, uh, I guess it would be east to go to Flint. And I said, you know what, I'm done. I'm packing it in. So I phoned them in Flint, said, you know what, thanks for the offer, I'm I'm packing it in. She was just finishing her CGA at the time. um, And I knew that her career was going to be a heck of a lot more important than my hockey career. And, uh, you know, that was the best decision I ever made. Uh, 
we went home. She got back at uh, Myers Norris Penny and I uh, collected unemployment for a little while. And while I did that, funny story, I taught myself how to sew because I was so bored. I headed to Fabricland. I bought a cheap sewing machine and a bunch of fabric and I made Christmas presents uh, until I found a job at MPI. <laughs> That's fantastic. And now the amount of sewing that 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 you do, I uh, as for 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 people that don't know, like every little thing on the weekends, every stitch is now going going through you. So you said you kind of said there. So you kind of you know leave hockey. Uh, you alluded that you went on to MPI. So you know you, you kind of left. You're doing some different things. How did it evolve that all of a sudden you were getting back? into it on the equipment manager side of things, helping out on the weekend game days? Yeah, well, it took a while because um, in between all that, you know, I was at MPI for 12 years before I I left there. And in that stint, I headed up to the PAW for a year to uh, further pursue my career with MPI and kind of move up the ladder. And um, I did some coaching at the Bantam level and then the midget level as well. And um, then I took kind of a, a break away from coaching and was playing some senior hockey with the, with the North Stars and the Allen Cup stuff and um, got back into coaching again when Kenny Schneider went back. And you know what? Uh, coaching just wasn't for me. Uh, I loved being involved, but um, my, my interests and my – I was better suited to be uh, behind the scenes, you know, helping with that kind of thing and – I just loved fixing equipment. I, I really became uh, a really good sore. Uh, you know, I, I don't don't get me wrong. Nothing's ever that pretty when you're an equipment manager because you don't have time. But um, you know, I, I I sewed women's pajamas. Like I bet you I did like ten pairs that winter, that first winter for Christmas presents. And you know that that might seem funny to people, but that was kind of what taught me. You buy those paper patterns. And I had one of those and that's what I did. I, they had elastics in them. I think even my wives had some frilly garbage on the bottom that I sewed on. Like, you know, it was, it was it's really weird, but that's, that's how it all started. And then um, Brett Martin's a local uh, guy that taught me how to use the industrial machines that we use. I bought my first industrial machine um, from him. Um, and that's kind of where it all, it all kind of uh, worked out for me. But, I guess the, the the funny part about getting involved in the equipment side, so I was doing it with the midget team. I had actually done it for a little bit with the university team the year after I finished with them until I came back to Muskegon. Um, so I was actually, you know, doing it on the side, kind of fixing stuff for people that I knew. So I was always involved with it, but that was my true passion. And then that year I looked at Kenny Schneider when he was coaching and I said, I don't want to coach. I just want to be your equipment manager. And he's like, Oh, this is, this is great. I want to keep you involved. And I bugged, started bugging Kelly after Ken told me that that's what I needed to do. Um, so I started, uh, you know, started with Chewy, talked to Kelly, got involved behind the scenes with uh, Grant uh, Amen, who was the therapist at the time who couldn't sew wasn't really, um, you know, happy isn't the word, but isn't, wasn't really good with the skate sharpening. So I would come in at night behind the scenes and give him a hand. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and, uh, you know, I got to go on a couple of road trips to try, uh, you know, I was trying to feel them out and then, you know, you, 
if you love something enough, you'll bug people enough and you'll bug them to the point where they're either going to say, get the hell out of here or yeah, come on and join us. And eventually that's what Kelly did. He said, yeah, you know what? We'll, we'll have you on board to be the, the guy. And if you can travel great, if you can't, then you know, you'll do it at home. And one thing led to another and uh, you know, this will be my fifth year as a full-time equipment manager. And uh, I love it. Well, that's the thing. Like people, people don't understand. And, and I was guilty of it as well. I mean, I came from the junior A world where, I mean, as a staff member, I was helping these other volunteer equipment guys and trainers. Everybody's pitching in. You're all, you're all trying to do a little bit to make things work. Well, at the Western League level, it's a little bit different. It's a little, it's obviously more professional, but there's just a lot more work that goes into it too, because there's so many different patches there's different types of jerseys different types of stocks more equipment more underwear and that sort of thing i don't think people realize what goes into your day so you know on a on a regular game day at home kind of take us through the timeline of a regular home game day for you well you know with kids in school you you have to juggle a little bit you know my wife is busy and uh, she works for can do uh, rail and um so she's at she's gone to work before i go and uh, we now have a 17-year-old, so uh, she has a car that uh, gets the 14-year-old to school now when we can. So typically, I'll get here between uh, 8 and 8.30. That's kind of my my start time. If I'm feeling great, then I'll come early and I'll work out before. Uh, oh, yeah. You, yeah, 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 you yeah, just had to throw that on the podcast, right? Yeah, for the, for those times that you get here so early. Yeah, okay. But, uh, Lots of times I'm here at seven because if I'm not, then uh, things don't get done. But on a typical game day, uh, we'll have a game day skate at 10. So by eight o'clock, I'm here setting up dressing room, uh, you know, sharpening some skates, doing whatever repairs that I didn't get done the night before so that the guys that are skating are ready to go. Uh, We have a visiting team here as well. So if they're here, they'll skate at 10. Our guys will skate at... uh, you know, 11, 11.30, depending on when the visiting team is off the ice. We have to do both teams' laundry, um, towels, all that stuff, and prep them for the game as well. Then my volunteers will come in and uh, give us a hand with setting up benches, um, setting up the visiting room, setting up our room once all the laundry is done, sharpen skates again to make sure that everyone's skates are ready to go. If we're lucky, we get a, you know, maybe an hour break in that where we can, you know, have some lunch or now sit down and relax and, you know, watch some TV before, you know, players start showing up at 3.30, 4 o'clock, some of them, and then things get really busy again for a couple hours before game time. And, you know, game the game part of the day is kind of the break because, you know, you might have the odd guy with a, you know, a skate sharpen or something breaks and you might have to fix it, but... And then post game, right away the visiting team we're either trying to get them out of here as quick as we can, or we're getting their laundry done because they're spending the night to either play us the next night or head to Winnipeg or Regina wherever they're going. And then so from eight thirty till you know most nights we don't get out of here till midnight depending on what's going on. And if I have another team coming in, you know they get here three thirty four o'clock. I'll come back to the rink, throw their laundry in, go home. <laughs> sleep for a couple more hours. And then, you know, if it's not a weekend, get the kids back to school and start all over again. Craziness. That's exactly, <laughs> it's just one thing after another, but that's what a game day is, right? You just, yeah, it is. You and, know, and just and kind of hold on and you, and you, and you just ride the roller coaster. 
And yeah, like yeah, there's I- weekends where you're right. Like you got, you know, two different teams coming in, um, you know, in a non-COVID year that would happen back-to-back nights. You're going to have to turn that room around for the visitors literally after the game. Yeah. Yeah. And you're only as good as the people that surround you. And we're really lucky here. Like we've got Edmontons who uh, help us out, Jody and Jason and the Popes, Rob and Aiden. And, um, you know, we're to the point now where those guys, like I don't have to give them a whole lot of direction, which really gives me the opportunity to deal with the players. And that's kind of the way I like it is I kind of want to be the the players first uh, line of defense when they need something. And um, we try not to say no, um, you know, sometimes we have to, but um, like the game has evolved so much, even from the time that I've been here that, um, you know, it's, it's sometimes really hard to, to deal with what you're dealing with. Well, here's a, here's something for you, Scooter. Just hang on a second. I got these gifted to me from my grandfather. Now, how hard would these be to sharpen? Those are Dao skates. Yeah, these are what what year would you say these are skater scooter? Like mid 70s? Yeah, probably. And it's like a full chunk of, of steel here yeah. that I'm holding on and showing the camera for those of you that are just listening. Yeah, I was gonna say for those that are just listening, these skates they look as if they're at least from the 70s, but that steel, it's not even as if the blade is attached to what would now be like that hard plastic. That's yeah. one solid piece of steel that's screwed yeah. to the bottom of basically a boot. Um, <laughs> now, skates and equipment has has changed a lot. Um, what has been uh, probably the, the most drastic change in terms of what you've had to deal with it, though, Scooter? I, th- I think it's the player. I really do. I mean, equipment is always going to change and and I think we can always expect that. But I look back from the times when we had billets to the times that I played. So call that a 15 year gap from the time that I'm working now, there's basically another 15 year gap. The equipment is all the same. Yeah, it's, it, it is better, but to me, it's the player because I think the players have evolved into professionals at a younger age. Like you've got, 14, 15 year old kids with agents who spend every hour in their day on hockey. That wasn't the case when I played. I mean, like I said, I was a two sport athlete. So I think those kids know more than, than can ever be expected out of them. And that's what makes it so unique to deal with these situations because they know exactly what they want. They have a profile on their skates. They know what lie, what mid flex, what, what grip, what, what uh, size glove, like I can phone any one of the kids from our prospects up and ask them anything about their equipment and they know it to a T. When I played, I remember as a kid, I was wearing gloves that my dad got from the Wheat Kings trainer, Zinger, that probably went halfway up my arm, but that's what, that's what we wore. Nowadays, like it just doesn't happen. So the game has changed so much that the player is so on top of what they want and how they want it, that it makes it probably makes our jobs a little bit easier, but a lot harder at times because you can't always keep them happy with what you are able to give them. So we've we've heard about a lot of different player rituals uh, over the years. There's one that I wanted to ask you about uh, more than others because it's actually come up twice now. Uh, Players who want to get their skate sharpened a lot and the name Ivan Provorov. Is there, is there anybody in your time uh, here that has asked for their skates to be sharpened more often than Provorov? No, Pro, Provy's a, un, he was a unique animal. Um, and 
And Provy was the ultimate professional from the minute he walked into the dressing room to the minute he left the dressing room when his career ended. So, um, so for example, I think one game in the playoffs, we changed his steal. I think it was eight or nine times. So we would always have a spare set of steel for, for uh, guys in sizes. Maybe when Provy played, now it's every player has two sets of steel that I have in a bag that are waiting for them with their number on it. Um, so Provy would do a little skate in warm-up. And Falco, you probably remember this. You maybe don't remember exactly what he did, but it included tight turns, figure eights, strides. And I knew the minute that he finished that um, warm-up skate that he did and he left the ice right after he did I knew right away if I needed to be walking back to the dressing room because he was going to ask me to sharpen his steel he could literally find any fine little nick and if anything was out of whack it was and he always asked nicely scooter I need new steel please and I would grab it thinking oh there's got to be nothing wrong with it and you'd rub your finger on it and there'd be the like the slightest little nick and he could feel it so um, he was a good one. And actually Johnny Quinville, uh, Johnny didn't like to have his steel, um, honed after we sharpened it. Now there's a little, uh, there's a little stone that we use to hone it after. And a couple times I forgot that he didn't want that done. And he would come up to me and say, Hey, Scooter, did you hone my steel after you sharpened them today? And I'd be like, what do you mean? Well, like, did you rub the, the skate? And I was like, Oh yeah, I did. He goes, I can tell. Can you, could you redo them for me? So it's stuff like that. We're like, when I played like, and Rob Stouffer was our therapist and trainer with the Bobcats. Like I would go as long as I could without getting my skate sharpened. Like that, that's just the way we did things. But now like these guys, like I said, these guys are fine tuned athletes that, that just how they're very particular now. Scooter, I had two two questions sent to me for for, and I know the answer to one, and I remember explaining the answer on a broadcast, but I'll let you uh, repeat this. Uh, the question is, how come the Wheat Kings bench, uh, and this this uh, this comes in from Dustin. He says, how come the Wheat King bench moved the spare sticks from the penalty box side to the other side where where the coaches would walk into the bench? So if if you're staring at the bench, the spare sticks moved from the far right all the way to the far left over the last year and a half. Why is that? Okay, so um, for me as the equipment guy, I want the sticks in the defensive zone for two periods. So the way we had it before was they were in the offensive zone for two periods. So in a tight game, your defenseman breaks his stick and you're in the defensive zone. I want to be able to get him a stick fast and for him to not have to go the longest distance. So we moved it there uh, for ease of opportunity to get a guy a stick quicker. That's pretty observant for, for a fan to notice that. Cause that is. I mean, most fans wouldn't even begin to even think of the spare sticks. No. I, and I didn't even notice either. And I, I, I like equipment. I like paying attention to that. I, it, it took me until he mentioned it, you know, back during the season that I was like, Oh yeah, I guess Scooter did move them. So. Yeah. So that's, that's a simple reason, but it, uh, it might uh, win a game for us in the long run. What was the second the one? Yeah, no, no, no. What was the second one? Uh, the second question, he tweeted at both of us, and this yeah, one okay. I'm assuming yeah, I was a bit so. of an inside yeah, okay. tweet. Uh, from Craig Hodgson, Scooter, how big of a role did being a multi-sport athlete help you in achieving your sporting goals? 
Also, who was your favorite left-handed catching first baseman with the initials CH? <laughs> well, that's awesome. You know what? That's a pretty good question, though. I, I honestly think that kids should play as many sports as they can. Um, you know, I think for me, being a two-sport athlete gave me the opportunity to develop in different ways uh, and use different muscles. And I'll be honest, I was never a huge workout guy. Like I didn't like going to the gym and pushing weight, but I like being at the ballpark. Like I would spend more time than anybody at the ballpark, just, you know, taking ground balls, you know, hitting balls off the tee, doing that kind of stuff. Um, and in the winter, the same thing. Like if I had, we lived uh, across the street from West End Community Center, I was out there as much as I could. Just, I think being as, as good at as many sports as you can gives you the opportunity to develop muscles that you wouldn't normally use. Like, uh, you know, I think baseball players can play golf and those two swings can develop things that will help you in both sports. Hockey players that play soccer, I mean, they're a similar game. Uh, you know, the, the agility, the cardio that soccer provides would be great for a hockey player. The, the problem is nowadays with the kids being so sports specific and having all the trainers and everything, you might fall behind being a two-sport athlete. But absolutely, I think being the two-sport athlete in the years that I played really helped me uh, excel at both, uh, at both levels. And Haji was my favorite first baseman to throw to. <laughs> Uh, I don't want to dwell on when things go wrong, but things happen. Uh, you know, you have, you have, you have a lot going on, a lot to pack on road trips. Uh, sometimes things get forgotten and, 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 and it goes both ways. Has there been times where, you know, you, once you're on the road in the WHL and you, and you can't just go back to your rink and, 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 and get something. I'm sure times there's been scooter that, that this has happened both to you and then it's happened to the opponents where you've had to try to help out. You're one of the only people that knows this story. So we're going to tell it. Okay. So this is why I asked for the podcast, yeah. buddy. <laughs> this is one of those moments where, you know, I was, I, I was shitting my pants. So I'm particular about fixing things and making sure they're ready to go before we go on the road. And I'm going to put a little bit of the blame on Falco on this one, but uh, it's not his fault. So we had fixed all the socks uh, to go on a road trip to Saskatoon. Saskatoon, Moose Jaw. I remember Chris phoned us last minute and said, hey, uh, can you send so-and-so up? I need to do some photos or whatever it was. It might have been an on-ice shoot or something. He needed to get something. Well, the color we were wearing <laughs> to go on the road was the same color that um, Chris needed. So I said, yeah, no problem. Uh, I got everything ready to go. We, we took the saw. I had them pre-packed. I took them out and gave Chris the stuff. He gave it back to me. I packed them back into the, the road bag that we put the socks in. And I don't know. I don't think, Crowley, did we get to Elkhorn yet? We might have ate and left Elkhorn. And I yeah. a heat wave hit my my body and i was like oh my god i think i forgot to pack this. you were laying down yeah. and you shot up like I, a rock. up and I was like you were like what and i was like nothing i got on the phone really quick i phoned jody and jody uh, says no i we packed him i was like yeah but something happened and i had to take them out so he gets there he goes yeah scooter the socks are here and i think grant 
was our GM at the time. He had left Brandon already. So it didn't work out that we could get socks. So I quickly phoned the guys in Saskatoon uh, from the Blades. And it was uh, Chad Scarf was their equipment guy at the time. He goes, um, well, I have a pair of white socks that have blue and yellow. I said, perfect. And then I was like, no, it's not going to work. Anyways, I don't know what happened, but he, we got to Saskatoon and we were just going to wear these off-colored socks. And the thing that scared me the most was Kelly because <laughs> Kelly doesn't handle those situations well. So we didn't tell him. And actually Dave Anning at the time, Dave really doesn't handle this stuff well. He handled it fairly well because I said, don't worry, I've got it figured out. He goes, okay, whatever. You're not going to figure this out. Well, Chad had gone to the Source for Sports in Saskatoon and got me matching colored sock tape so I could make our white socks look like they were black and gold. So what we did was the players put their socks on and they were blue and gold. And over top of the, the blue, we put black sock tape. And they actually matched our jerseys perfectly. And not one person, not even Kelly McCrimmon, knew for two games or was it three? It was that, it, I think it was the whole road trip. It was the whole road trip. We did this. We fooled everybody except for Nolan Ritchie, opened his big mouth to his dad and said, <laughs> dad, why did you guys wear different socks that game? And Darren's was like, well, we didn't. He goes, yeah, they're definitely different, dad. And so Rich calls me and I was like, so I had to explain it to him. So for sure, that is the one time for me. The second time was I wasn't traveling with the team yet. And Chris Trivier, he was our um, equipment guy and athletic therapist. They were on the BC trip at the time. And I had just got Kelly to buy me a brand new uh, road sharpener because ours had kicked the bucket. Well, if Chris's uncle, I think, passed away, Chris had to fly out and leave. And Grant's son was our <laughs> equipment guy. Well, the road sharpener gets dropped. They break it and totally destroy the brand new sharpener. And I had to try. <laughs> we spent weeks trying. These guys uh, used the sharpener for the two weeks there on the road trip. And like, I don't know how any of them stood up for the whole trip because the skate sharpener was so messed up and you know what we didn't have to tell kelly we were able to fix it and it kind of just uh it went like without anybody really knowing about it, other than me and i was so upset because it was one of the first new big purchases that i was allowed to do while i was uh, starting <laughs> this, this is why we can't have nice things scooter <laughs> Uh, when uh, that game in Saskatoon, uh, you were getting, you were doing, you and Chad were doing a test sock in the hallway, and Dave Anning knew you guys were doing that, so he he was all of a sudden like oddly chatty with me, kind of behind the curtain or behind this doorway, and I'm like, yeah, okay, Dave, like I gotta go, but I couldn't figure out why he was like all of a sudden just casually having this conversation with me, but he kept looking to see, he was waiting to see if you guys would get out of the way so I could go by and not notice. Well. That didn't happen. I said, Scooter, what are you guys doing? And oh. you told me, and you said, whatever you do, do not <laughs> mention this on the broadcast tonight. Do not make mention of it. Do not talk about our socks in any way, shape, or form. And you were like, I could just see the steam oh. coming out of your ears. I was so panicked. 
Well, you know what? And until this moment, I didn't know that you put any blame on 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 me. I remember us needing to get a player dressed up because we had to shoot you know, some on ice promo. And and of course, you know when the players get out there, we have to get it all done proper. Yep. Uh, yep. But uh, that wasn't even the story I was really thinking you were going to tell. I love oh. the, I love I love that you threw yourself under the bus and told this story. Okay, so what was the one? Well, I thought you were going to talk about the time when Kootenay came here. And they forgot their socks, and then they had to wear, I believe it was Crocus Plains, um, oh. the high school hockey team. Somebody helped out. It was either, it was either I think it was they were wearing Swift Current socks because they played in Swift the night before. So, they were uh, like purple. That was when Swift Current yeah, had like those yeah. purple. That's yeah, right. That's those, what I thought it was Massey or something, maybe, or something. But, yeah. okay. but anyway, someone loaned them socks, and I picked it out right away. And uh, Darcy, like, it was the same scenario almost. Darcy's like, oh, yeah, I forgot my socks. And, like, <laughs> don't make socks we're wearing. And it looked horrid from, like, up close. But I don't think the average person would really even notice it in the stands. But, yeah, like, you know what? I'm sure it probably happens more than people know. Um, obviously, at the NHL level, I don't think it would happen. But, um, you know, it, it's really easy when you're – packing that stuff. And it was soon after that I was talking to Kelly and I asked him what Vegas does to when they go on a road trip. And he says, Oh, well, our guys have this mag magnetic board and they have a list and they check everything off so that they know they've got everything. Well, I didn't even ask him. As soon as he said that I phoned accent striping and I had a magnetic board made so that I didn't get anything again. Well, there's not a guy, and I and I sit beside you on the bus, and I have I've been in the same room as you on the hotel, and we, you know there isn't a guy that has more gadgets and trinkets and tools and and things than you do. You never do forget anything, and honestly, there like a European player could come to the front of the bus and say, "Does anybody have a charger for this phone that doesn't exist in North America?" And somehow you'd pull that out of your bag. Like you've got cords and things, so it's it's shocking to me that you ever forget anything. Period. Well, we try not to, but the amount of baggage that you lug onto the bus—no, no, 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 that's not true. I don't—I don't lug a lot of baggage on the bus. Now, I don't know if you guys saw the tweet, and I'm gonna—I'm gonna bring this up because this is probably the funniest thing that I deal with year after year. Is there is not a, a person in any hockey organization other than the athletic therapist that carries more bags that have absolutely no purpose for anything on the bus, but they're on the bus taking up space. Croy, you, you yeah. have to agree with me. Yeah. And, and you know what, you and I kind of started full time at the same time, right? That was the transition, right? Yeah. So you started traveling the same time I came into the organization. And of course we had Chris Trivieri for a couple of years, then RJ Roman Cashy, who one is, is Chris has obviously done great things in the OHL. He, he yeah. saved that young goaltender's life uh, two years ago. Uh, with his quick uh, quick thinking. And then RJ, of course, he uh, was part of Michael Furlan's rehab group in the American League to get him back into the NHL, and he's doing good things in pro. But uh, now, of course, we've got Will. But you're right. I don't know what it is. 100% chance, by the way, that RJ's listening to this this week. 100%. Oh, for sure he and he oh, he's got this on his TV for sure. But these guys... These guys, they take... They swear, I swear to God, they oh. take 25 minutes to get off. We're, we've traveled all night, and everybody just wants to go to bed. And Crow's sitting there every time waiting for the therapist to get off the bus. Well, he, he, he hardly fits the width of the bus 
for the bags and everything that he's carrying with him. He doesn't ask anyone to carry anything for him ever. They all want to carry it on their, it's hilarious. It's the funniest thing to watch. It's like they put, uh, it's like they take every bath towel that the team has and stuffs it in a bag and then just has to carry it around for no reason whatsoever. And I said to RJ on one road trip, I said, what, what is in that? And he said, you know what? I'm not even sure. <laughs> and he went and looked through it. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. I put this in here, but I haven't used it in about 10 days. I said, well, we didn't need that. And you're just taking up space, but hey, they're prepared as well. And of course we talk about trips saving uh, that young goaltender's life. Uh, he also did a, a real, uh, a real life-saving job on Garrett Sandberg as well on the bus when he had his uh, incident as well. So we make fun of them, but they are important. So here's, <laughs> for those of you who can see this, Scooter's showing a tweet of an athletic therapist just loading up <laughs> with bags that are just unnecessary. There must be 15 bags, always. It's the funniest thing. And they, they all, like you said, none of them know exactly. They, they've got an AED in there, which... Could save somebody's life one day. Probably you and me. They probably don't know what's in any of those bags. I always know what's in my backpack. There's lots of cords. <laughs> iPad, some sort of thing to try to help me stop snoring. Doesn't and work. A couple of drinks. Right? <laughs> that's, all, that's all the guy needs. Who's the well, worst snorer on the bus? Is it Scooter? Oh. Okay. It's a, you can't even like take a wild animal and put it on the bus because that's what it sounds like. Like a, a wild boar. It's awful. It's awful. I, I wake myself up. I get, I go, it's like, it's like watching a movie where someone's snoring. That's me for sure. See, Dave, Dave Anning was used to it. So it was no big deal for him. But I remember the first road trip that Dave Lowry was on the bus <laughs> and scooter. And, and we joked with him and we bugged, you know, we bugged scooter and Dave's like, ah, whatever. Like I've played and I've been around the guys snore. And I remember we just rolled out of Elkhorn after a turkey dinner and scooter piled down into his little nest and we weren't even at Mooseman yet. And he is roaring, like, <laughs> unbelievable. And Dave literally had his glasses on and his headphones on. And just slowly, he took both headphones out, <laughs> pulled the glasses down, and turned around like, what in the hell is that racket? <laughs> it was absolutely priceless. Uh, speaking of snoring, Scooter, before we uh, let you go, we always like to do a little rapid-fire segment with our guests. Uh, of course, this week's episode, as always, brought to you by Coors Light, the official beer of the brand of Weekings. But on that theme, when you get a, a, a night off, what's your what's your go-to dinner cocktail? Oh, it's got to be Pink Whitney, no? Oh yeah, that's that's the wind drink. You yeah. got to have one of those when you're when you're on a roll. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty. What do you mix it with? Well, you and I have mixed it with a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, like anything, like whatever is available. I like it. All right, Scooter, what's the uh, what's your favorite rink to go to, to travel to? Oh, uh, well, it, it's tough not to say Everett. Um, the atmosphere there is pretty good, but Seattle, you know, after the championship run and the the Brandon sucks thing and like that rink is bumping every game. It doesn't matter if it's a Tuesday night or a Saturday night. Uh, the, just the atmosphere and the fans are awesome. You keep a lot of cool tidbits and trinkets from different players and, and players bring you back stuff from training camps and things like that. What's your coolest piece of, of memorabilia? Like if, if someone said, Scooter, you got to leave the rink in 15 seconds, what's the thing you're grabbing? Yeah, look around because you're surrounded by it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know what? 
It's probably, and it, it's probably, it's probably your door, right? Is it, is it your new door? No, it's not my door. <laughs> I, I actually have a, a piece of, um, it's like a board that I took from the Memorial cup when we were in red deer and all the players signed it. Um, just something that, you know, from championship, we may never, we may never get there again. I mean, I, I hope we will. And I think we're going to, you know, have the opportunity, but going to the Memorial cup, winning a championship and having all those players names, anything with a player's name or something that shows that they've done something uh, incredible is awesome to have. And the reason okay. why I said uh, scooter's door, just so people know is, uh, Scooter's door is actually quite the impressive art piece. It, it's it's got uh, photographs throughout Scooter's career as a weeking, both as a player and on the bench, and some very flattering photos. It's just quite the shrine. I thought you might want to grab that. It's but. it's quite the slimming door, Scooter. It's a very slimming door. Well, well, that's one thing that uh, has changed over the years for sure. We talked about the players, my age, and my weight. <laughs> <laughs> well, all the graphics for this podcast, we made you look good. So Yeah, oh my gosh. That must have been a coaching picture from Midget when I first finished playing. I, I think it said 2007 when <laughs> I found that picture. We, I had a couple We pictures. used a 13-year-old photo for a guy that works downstairs from me. We could yeah. literally well, I've just been like, Scooter, come up. I got to take a photo well, for you for the pod. But no, we can use that one from 07. My Perfect. hair was black. It wasn't It wasn't highlighted gray. You know, it, it's awesome. <laughs> See, here's the thing, and Chris knows this, and Scooter does as well. I'm busy trying to work a different job right now. <laughs> and Tammy, our graphics girl, was like, hey, I need a picture of Scooter. I'm getting this done tonight. And I panicked. And I had asked Scooter's daughter for a bunch of photos of him for my Halloween costume. So I went through Instagram and all the pictures she sent me of him. And they were all too small. So I Googled Scott Halady, and there was a picture of him and his wife dancing at somebody else's wedding. And I sent that <laughs> off and said, you can crop tea out of this and just put Scooter in it. And it made it just looked awful. And so I said, well, how about this one? She said, perfect. And I'll send it out. And I didn't even think anything of it. And then when I looked at it, I was like, yeah, yeah, that looks like Scooter's son. <laughs> uh, a couple more before we let you go. This question actually came in from a uh, fellow that you know <laughs> quite well, uh, Dan Block. He's kind of your go-to assistant equipment manager when we're in Alberta. And he says, can you ask Scooter if he ever found his suit jacket? <laughs> oh, the jacket. <laughs> so Dan oh, wants to know if you ever it. found your suit jacket. So you better tell some of the fans, I mean, you can keep it PG, but what happened to the suit jacket, Scooter? Uh, we it's, it's we don't know, I don't think, for real, we do we, Scooter? No, it was one of the weirdest things ever. It was... I probably shouldn't be telling telling this story, but it was Memorial Cup, and I think I had one suit at the time, and we had to wear a suit to the Memorial Cup dinner, um, and it might have been that night or another night we had gone to the the Pavilion in Red Deer, uh, Falco. You were there a couple times with us. And I I can't believe that we're able to tell these these even the story. Well, you at can all. you can give it a the little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. The long and short of it is, I had to work the next day, so I left earlier than everybody else did. I and like you know, Crowy, like when I say I'm going to sleep, I go to sleep. Instant. So I, in my my room, I went to sleep, and I woke up the next morning. My roommate Josh Gunther was in bed, and I got up early to go eat and get to the rink. Well. The someone had fumbled through our bathroom and my suit jacket and my suit pants were gone. I'm like, okay, like who's messing around? So I got up, I went for a walk. I had, I ate and went for a walk. Well, as I was walking, I found my, I think I found my pants. They were ripped to shreds. It had the rink keys from the <laughs> night before from me locking up. 
in my pocket still. So I got the keys back, but I never did find my jacket. Now, so, was this too day, much Pink Whitney? I know Pink Whitney didn't exist then, but was there a little too many Coors Lights that night? I might have got some Coors Lights, and uh, <laughs> it, I mean, it was harmless. I just had to hydrate. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a harmless thing. You know what? Guys lose suits. It wouldn't have fit me now anyway. And, and yeah, and like, and it's not as if, like, you know, like, Scooter was blackout or something. He just went back no. to his hotel room and in the morning. Yeah. But we were driving around on the bus and all the team, we're going for, like, for with that, that Chinese restaurant. And everybody's looking out both sides, trying to find some homeless guy wearing Scooter's suit coat. <laughs> We're all looking at me like, hey, we're going to find somebody who was rifling through who's wearing his uh, coat. And no, I, I'll, yeah, it never thanks was found. Dan for bringing that up. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dan. He's our loyal, he's one of our most loyal listeners. And uh, we, we love Dan Block. We've talked to him a few times on this show. Yeah. Uh, Scooter, this was fantastic. Uh, we're glad that we could do this. Uh, I know it's a lot of people have, have sent in, well, we want to hear from this player or this player or that player. And actually, I've had a few people say, well, we want to know what goes on behind the scenes. We like that sort of thing. So we're just here to please the people. And uh, we hope uh, when I can look at the stats later that this is one of our more listened to episodes, Scooter. I'm sure it will be. Well, and, 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 and before we wrap up, I mean, there's a couple of things that I mean, even like while I was talking about you coming on the podcast during my radio shows, uh, before we even you know did this interview, I was like, you know, things we're going to talk about, we haven't even covered that yet. So I want to quickly bring this up, like the amount of charity work that you've been a part of uh, right. with, with 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 Bird Cup over the years. I mean, I know a lot of people, a lot of connections there. Um, and of course, we'd be remiss in the last couple of weeks if we didn't talk talk quickly here about uh, how Xander Skates came about. Um, right, that's course, on my that list. Story. I mean, it's it was insane how much that took off, right? But we've been talking here already for close to an hour uh, with Scooter, and we haven't even talked about those two things. Um, so quickly, Scooter, let, let's let's talk about um, uh, Bird Cup, but then I want to talk about Xander Skates. Sure. Well, you know, Bird Cup was just a thing that we started one year. Well, it was quite a few years ago, and now just uh, trying to get some buddies together. It started with 27 guys playing golf, heading back to my house. And the last year we did it at my house, we had 102 people in my garage, in my backyard, <laughs> and uh, Chewy and my wife, you know, uh, disagreed on how we should keep doing things. Should we liked having it at the house? Cause we could get out of hand and no one really knew about it, but the, the powers above, uh, being my wife said, like, you guys got to move on. Well, it, get it, out of my it, house. Was, it became a big thing and, uh, we're pretty proud of it. We've, we've passed it on now to you guys made it legitimate, right? Like yeah, we right? did. I mean, it, it was always fun, but it was legit. Like we were raising the last two, three years, $50,000 a year to go to local charities. And mm-hmm. uh, it was our opportunity to give back. Chewy and I uh, always wanted to do that. And then passing it on to Tyler, he's changed it a little bit. And, you know, they're doing great things and they're raising a lot of money for, for BU, which is close to my heart as well. So, um, and then now even like with Xander to talk about that a bit and, um, Chad had approached me one day about uh, making skates for Xander for Christmas. And I was like, cool, like, what do you think? And he says, well, I can't buy Bob skates for, for Adel. And I didn't realize Xander's feet were as big as they are. And so Chad brought a pair of boots over one day and I threw a couple ideas at him. And I had some old steel that we weren't using anymore. And we had uh, Dave at Morningside weld them together. And the long and short of it was we turned a pair of Walmart boots into a pair of skates. And uh, he's gone from a young guy that couldn't skate or stand up on ice to now he's taking slap shots with his brother, which is a dream come true for him. So 
you know, it's those things and those opportunities that we get for being involved with the Wheat Kings or, or sports that uh, will last a lifetime. So um, we're, we're, Chad and I are working on some other things now with that and trying to maybe make it go a little bit further. But um, charity is close to my heart. And I think uh, I'd like to do some things within the Wheat Kings organization to help out uh, organizations to create um, opportunities for guys like Xander to play hockey because there's nothing in Brandon right now that gives those people an opportunity to play hockey and they should have the same opportunities that we've all had. So, Well, that's a perfect note to end on, Scooter. I'm, I, I, and Falco, I'm glad you mentioned the, the Xander thing and the Burt Cup. Both were on my list, but uh, I just didn't get to them. So uh, great job on, on everything, Scooter. Uh, I know that um, you know, you've been busy all summer and now it's kind of just sit and hurry up and wait kind of like the rest of us uh, all three of us are all sitting in the same yeah. boat right now and none of us have a paddle so you can only put um, so many initial decals on on equipment and customize things for players <laughs> for so long yeah. hey before it's just time yeah. to get some actual hockey going yeah like just uh you know have a guy here and maybe to say no or get out of my room or just like <laughs> just to see another face like we see the same same faces day in and day out and uh I've never been so excited to see uh, 16 to 20 year old kids that uh, always, you know, make the hair in my back stand up. But uh, <laughs> I, I love being with those guys. Uh, they make me feel younger every day. So uh, it's going to be awesome when we get back together. Well, a big thanks to Scooter for coming on the podcast this week. Uh, you know, the man of many nicknames. Uh, big Bear, <laughs> I've heard Scoots, uh, Scootsy. Uh, as as we heard, uh, who was it in the Christmas video? Uh, somebody had a stick, and all they wanted... Oh, Ben McCartney kept breaking a stick, and all they wanted was a stick from Scooter, and somebody on the bench goes, come on, Scoots, give him a stick. And all of a sudden, it was Scoots. So. Well, if you remember the movie Semi-Pro, there's an, a character in the basketball movie named Scootsy Doubleday, and that's his name for a while before he changed his name to Coffee Black, and I believe it's the guy from Black Eyed Peas that's playing the, the character. Anyway, so I, I've heard Scootsy Doubleday a few times, uh, <laughs> the Big Bear. Uh, the uh, Yeah, he's got all sorts of nicknames, but he is uh, a real character, as you heard in that interview, so thanks uh, for big joining thanks. us. Big thanks to Scott for coming on the podcast this week. Uh, before we uh, wrap up, we got to do yeah. some news and notes, and uh, there was an unfortunate accident in the WHL family this past weekend. Uh, Crow, you got more details about uh, Kamloops Blazer? Yeah, it's it's coming out here. Not many details, but uh, Kyrell Sopatik uh, is from Saskatoon. Um, and he, you know, he's played with the Kamloops Blazers and, and was a Prince Albert Minto and, and the Moose Jaw Warriors. Uh, you know, there's connections all over the league with, with where he's played and the people he's played with. And unfortunately, by the sounds of it, was in a, a snowboarding incident, accident, uh, whatever you want to call it, this past weekend. Uh, and as of right now, he's been left paralyzed from the waist down, um, which is what they're calling life-altering injuries. Um, so by all accounts, he, he's okay. Um, you know, from a you know, life and death standpoint, he's okay and, and will make a recovery, but it's a real life-changing incident um, the WHL did put out a, a statement saying that they will provide, you know, all sorts of support to the family and, and are, you know, sending thoughts and prayers and everything else. But the big thing that I've noticed, uh, the GoFundMe page started by the Zeri family. Of course, uh, we know uh, the Zeri family well, if, if teammates, uh, Connor Zeri teammates with Kyrell in uh, Kamloops. Um, 
the, the mother uh, of Kathleen, uh, Zeri's mother, started a GoFundMe page. And in the last two days, over $115,000 has been raised. Donations coming in from all over the hockey world. Broadcasters, teammates, former players, NHLers, people donating. Um, and, and that money is earmarked for any uh, sort of medical costs, renovations, things that they have to do to get him home and uh, back on the men. So you can find that link, I believe, the Wheat Kings tweeted it out earlier, if I'm not correct, correct. Chris? Yes, yes, correct. You can, so, yeah. go, you can go check out there. There's a lot of other WHL teams. Chances are by now, um, you've one seen of the other it, yeah. teams, you've, 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 you've likely seen it. But um, if not, it's definitely worthy to, to go and search out. Um, and, I mean, even from, from uh, Connor Zeri's post, you know, he talks about not playing in Kamloops, but it's like his best friend. And, uh, you know, Kathleen, obviously very close with the family as well. And... Uh, that GoFundMe page that she started had an initial goal of just ten thousand dollars. That was surpassed within hours. Then they reset it for forty. Crazy. Then that was surpassed within hours. So kept you know just adjusting the 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 target. I mean, whatever it is, the family is obviously going to be you know extremely grateful for it. But the outpouring um, has been incredible, and the hockey family is a very tight knit fa- family, as we've seen in the past. Uh, other things like this have have you know unfortunately happened. Um, so it's unfortunate but it's very nice to see all the love come through this as well yeah and it's you know what the the real unfortunate thing is um you know when you think back to uh the gofundme page for the humble broncos uh you know families and, and survivors i mean that thing took off as well but there's an interesting connection here kyrell uh was actually roommates and billet brothers with lane matichuk uh on that humboldt bus uh, lane of course he survived the accident he's uh, paralyzed uh, but is in recovery i think he got back on his skates uh, he was originally thought to be paralyzed, but he's made a pretty okay recovery. He's not fully at 100%, but he is moving around quite a bit. But it's crazy how uh, two Billet brothers from the same house have eerily similar type accidents. So I see that I see just scrolling through here, the Matichuk family's jumped. They've donated. Uh, teams around the league are donating. Uh, there was a $5,000 anonymous donation uh, dropped in here as well. Uh, Kirby Doc making a donation. Um, yeah, hockey people from far and wide are making donations. Um, so yeah, even if you can't donate, uh, retweet it, send it out, uh, retweet it, share it, do whatever. Cause maybe somebody will see it that can help out and, and help this young man out. We all know hockey's a small world. And, uh, if this were one of the Brandon Wheat Kings that were in this situation, we know the support would be coming back the other way. So, uh, from all of us, uh, with the Wheat Kings and, and with the weekly harvest podcast and, and Q country radio, uh, every, every thought going out to, to Kyrell and his family as he, uh, begins, uh, what's uh, looking like a, a rough road ahead. So thinking of you. With that said, uh, that's going to pretty much wrap up episode 39 of the Weekly Harvest. If you have anything that uh, you wanted to say, if you stuck around this long, kudos to you. Um, you know, I would love to see the stats for that. You know, since we've been back, row, we'll quickly break down the fourth wall for any hardcore who, who's actually listened to this entire thing so far. Uh, our stats, since we come back on a little hiatus here, it's been slowly climbing again. And it's been nice to see. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, but uh, I'm curious how many people do listen this far. So, if you're one of them and you send an email to qweeklyharvest at gmail.com, we got a special weekly harvest giveaway for this week. So qweeklyharvest at gmail.com for rewarding you for sticking it out to the end of the pod <laughs> this week. Uh, everybody who emails that and says, hey, I stuck it out, you're going to be getting something something special from my prize drawer because we, haven't up, ha- uh... because we haven't had a season and my prize drawer is still pretty full. And I just I, that's one of my favorite things during the year is getting to open that every game and, and giving stuff out. So might as well give it out to, to some pod listeners this week. So send us an email, qweeklyharvest at gmail.com. Appreciate you listening. 
Crow, f- final thoughts? Uh, well, here, I was just going to follow up on the stats. You want a prize? Uh, since we've come what? back. You want a prize? Since we've, well, I, I would like a prize. Okay. But, I mean, it, I mean, it's tough to get anything. I'm going you know, to give you an autograph photo. <laughs> of myself. It's yeah. an autographed photo of me. Of you and Molly. <laughs> uh, we're up 36 spots uh, since we've come back. In the last week, we've gone up 36 spots on the Apple Podcast Chartable Data. We're inside the top uh, 200 uh, sports podcasts in Canada right now. So uh, that's up 36 spots. Before we stopped for the COVID pause, we were in the top 60. So we got a long ways to go to get back to where we are. But the one thing I can say, we're seven spots ahead of the Vegas Golden Knights official team podcast. Uh, Sheriff... Dave uh, and uh, and uh, Gary Lawless. So. I listen to that one too. So I'm like, I must be. Well, I don't know. I, li- I listen to both. Maybe I got to listen to us a little bit more though. I got to double up the play just to make sure <laughs> we got to keep. But anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Have a great week. Cheers. Be sure to follow Q Country and the Wheat Kings on Twitter and Facebook for all your Brandon Wheat Kings news. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Harvest. Mm-hmm.